0: Hello, and welcome to Season 5 of Way to Week Mystery. This is your host and author, J.C. Bodden. If you've been with me before, you'll know that each week I present a chapter from one of my novels. I've done four seasons so far, one for each of the first four books, which are all part of the Devlin O'Quinn mystery series. This season is starting out in the first book of my newest series, which is called Devlin's Legacy, and it details the adventures of the next generation, if you will. This particular novel is entitled Echo Chamber. If for some reason you're joining us in the middle of things, welcome, but you might want to go back and start at the beginning, or at least at the beginning of a season, to get the full story. At any rate, I hope you enjoy what you hear and come back each week for more. And if you like what you hear and can't wait a week for the next chapter, you can check out my website, jcboden.com, for ordering information. All of my books are available in both Kindle and print-on-demand paperback format from Amazon. You'll find the link in the podcast info. Now let's not wait any longer. Here we go with the exciting conclusion, episode 510, Echo Chamber, chapter 10, six weeks later, Friday. Xenia Green was sitting in her boss's office. Scratch that, her former boss's office. She had, after all, worked for the band less than one full day. It had occurred to her as she settled into the uncomfortable chair that the last time she had been here was the time she was being put on administrative leave following the disastrous retrieval of Jeremy Swink's body. She found that she was oddly nostalgic for that simpler set of problems. "'Thanks for coming in this morning, Xenia,' Doc Wallace smiled across the desk at her. "'I wanted to show you the final report,' he continued quietly, passing a thick folder across his desk, before it is released." Thank you, was all she could manage to say. Doc held on to the folder as she reached across to take it. Before you open it, you should know that I took the photos out. In my opinion, there's no need for you to see those, but you are certainly welcome to if you'd like. I left the sketches in. I can also remove them if you want me to. He paused and she swallowed, then shook her head. He let go of the folder. Right, well, my findings are all there. Take your time. He watched as she opened to the first page, her eyes skimming the words. Then she started back at the top and read through it again, much slower, the second time. He waited patiently, as she did that with every page in the entire report. When she had finished and lifted her head to look at him, he spoke again, gently. "'He had a brain tumor, Xenia,' he said. "'A glioblastoma. It was very fast-growing. It would have caused all kinds of neurological issues—headaches, clumsiness, slurred speech, vision issues—' Not to mention that it would have drastically changed his personality. I'm so sorry. She swallowed again and glanced back down at the pages in her hand. I knew he wasn't feeling well, she whispered, but I thought he was just having a hard time adjusting to the move, and maybe that he had a touch of flu on top of that. But he didn't... I mean, he... Her voice trailed off. Doc sighed. Senya, this is just the autopsy folder, but I've seen the evidence that the police have gathered. Chief Sullivan told me that he would let you see it if he wanted to. He shrugged, letting her know that he didn't think that was particularly necessary, but that it was her decision. Anyway, there is a lot there. He was identified by the man that picked up Jeremy Swink at the airport as the person who hired him. That gentleman also says Shawnee gave him the poisoned bottles of wine to deliver to Swink. The shotgun he had is consistent with the weapon used to shoot at the drivers on the Interstate Highway in Georgia. And Amy Hanna and Gabriella McTaggart identified him as the guy who kidnapped them. There was even a cell phone in his possession that was reported as stolen inventory from the electronics store where he worked before y'all moved here. He used that phone to contact Nikki Halliday, Gwen's ex-wife, in some sort of plot to have her tell his story to the world. The only thing that they haven't been able to tie him to is the backpack bomb that made Reese O'Quinn's car blow up, but if you ask me, it's only a matter of time before the FBI's explosive unit ties that in as well. Doc paused and took a deep breath before he continued. Zenia, I'm sorry to say this, but the evidence is pretty damn convincing. He did it, all of it. He was, if I may say so, seriously and dangerously obsessed with Reese O'Quinn and his novels. All of it would have taken some serious planning, not to mention the execution of all those details. It's difficult to know whether he put that plan in motion before the onset of the tumor, but my suspicion is that he did. He tried to shoot me, to kill me. Her voice trailed off. She was having trouble meeting Doc Wallace's eyes. There was a letter. He he said he hated me, that he wanted to prove that he was smarter than me did you know that? Now she found the courage to look up. Yes, I saw a copy of it. The note wasn't included in the autopsy report, of course, but it was, in with the rest of the evidence, Doc Wallace had been shown. Written on a torn bit of notebook paper, the sprawling handwriting was almost impossible to decipher. The older man shifted in his chair, leaning forward, resting his forearms on the desk and linking his fingers. When you compare that writing to some of his other work, what do you notice, Xenia? It really didn't look like his handwriting. I mean, it was a lot harder to read. He used to have very neat handwriting, almost artistic. Doc nodded. And knowing what you know now, what conclusion can you draw from that change? She hesitated. The tumor? Doc nodded again more vigorously. "'Yes. Both the physical changes and the change in his feelings toward you were directly related to that damn tumor. I'm certain of it.' Xenia sighed. She appreciated that he was trying to comfort her, even if she also knew that despite what he claimed, he was speculating. Nothing could be certain at this point. Still, what he was proposing was certainly plausible.' The media is saying that, well, I mean, I know he didn't know about the tumor, but maybe part of him suspected that he wasn't well. They, they are calling it suicide by cop. What do you think? Doc Wallace rolled his eyes. I think I fucking hate that expression. Xenia smiled slightly, surprised, and somehow heartened by the vehemence in his voice. He smiled ruefully in return. Xenia, I never met your brother, at least not until... He paused, and she nodded, understanding all too well exactly when Doc Wallace had met Shaw. "'But I've been doing this job for a long time, and I'll be honest with you. We're pretty good at figuring out the how with these things. The why, though, well, that's infinitely more difficult. I know it's natural for you to try to do it, but in my experience, you'll probably never be able to do it. And in the meanwhile, you'll drive yourself crazy.' He shrugged. "'Besides, does it really matter?' She shook her head slowly. No, not really, I guess. Doc cleared his throat. Have you spoken to Connor? He asked gently. She took a deep breath before she answered. I went to see him in the hospital right after it happened. You know, to thank him for... She had to clear her throat, but then she squared her shoulders and went on. To thank him for shielding me and saving my life. I haven't seen him since then. What about Quinn? If anything, Doc's voice was even gentler. "'He's... um...' She threw her hands up in the air. "'No, I haven't. "'I think it's important that you do.' "'I don't know what I would say.' Doc took a moment before he answered. "'He saved you too, Xenia. "'Just as much as Connor did. "'I know it's hard to think about, "'but if Quinn hadn't stopped Shawnee, "'then I would have had to do autopsies "'on both Connor and you.' "'I know.' Her voice was so soft that Doc Wallace had to read her lips "'to be sure he knew what she said.' You need to speak with him, Zina," the man reiterated, for your sake, and his, not to mention the sake of your job. You'll be working with him again, no doubt. She blinked several times, swallowing hard to try to get rid of the sudden lump in her throat. But there were no tears. She had cried so much over the past six weeks that she didn't think she would ever be able to cry again. Sir? Was all she could manage to squeeze out. "Zina, your job is still here, waiting for you. I'd like you to come back. "'Oh,' was all she could think of to say for a moment. "'Then she remembered what should come next. "'Thank you.' "'Doc leaned back, watching her carefully, "'willing to give her time to think. "'It didn't take her long. "'After all, he was offering her a choice "'between her dream job and the waitressing gig "'she had taken two weeks ago "'in a desperate attempt to make ends meet. "'Yes,' she said. "'I'd like that. Thanks. Thanks so much.' "'He nodded. "'Good. Be here first thing Monday morning.' She smiled at him. And for God's sake, talk to Quinn Halliday before then, he added gruffly. It was exactly like the photo she had shown him from her parents' wedding, exactly like the vision he had been having since he was eleven or twelve. Except this time it was real. He was trying to slip a ring on her finger, her white dress and the yellow roses she held in her other hand just visible in the corner of his eye. He held his breath, trying to get his fingers to stop shaking. He paused and glanced up at her face. She smiled that adorable, slightly lopsided grin, and suddenly everything clicked into place. His hands steady now, the ring slid on, and he felt himself let out a huge whoosh of air. "'I now pronounce you husband and wife,' said the minister. The crowd in the small, open-air chapel on the grounds of the state park where Gabby had grown up burst into applause. Devon clapped him soundly on the shoulder, "'just before Reese and Gabby walked out into the congregation "'to be surrounded by their family and friends. "'It's nice of Chief Sullivan to look the other way "'about the rules against alcohol in a state park,' Elliot murmured to Devlin several hours later. "'She had lowered herself onto the bench beside him "'and surreptitiously slipped her shoes off with a sigh. "'Devlin turned to her, one eyebrow raised. "'Yeah, that's it, exactly.' He huffed out a laugh. That must be why you have to sneak out back to get a beer. He clinked his bottle with hers. It was a beautiful ceremony. Elliot took another sip of beer before she laid her head on his shoulder. It sure was. She squeezed his hand. Did Reese tell you the big news? Devlin chuckled, squeezing her hand in return. You mean that Gabby's pregnant? Yeah. Like father, like son, she murmured, smiling softly. Hell of a family tradition, that. "'They'll make great parents,' Elliot said. "'You ready to be a grandma?' Devlin asked, turning so that he could look at her. "'Well, I have had some practice,' she answered, looking across the dance floor to where her step-grandsons sat, glaring at their sister dancing to the music of the Georgetown boys. minus the bride and the father of the bride,' with the dashing Luke Sanderson.' The party lasted late into the night, so late, in fact, that the bride and groom had departed hours before. Connor sat at a picnic table, nursing his beer, his one good eye scowling across the pavilion to where his baby sister was slow dancing with that Sanderson guy. He glanced up as his brother straddled the bench across from him. "'How you feeling, Con?' Quinn asked. "'Ready to go home yet?' He shifted his weight so that he could look directly at his twin. "'You seein' this?' He jerked his chin in Tess's direction." Quinn glanced over his shoulder and then squinted back at Connor. Yeah, he sighed. Well, I don't like it, Connor growled. He reached down and picked up his cane. Connor put out his hand to stop his brother. Whoa, hey now, what are you going to do, Connor? I'm fixing to go over there and put this damn cane through the bastard's knees, Connor answered. Give me a break, Connor, Quinn hissed. Sit the fuck down. Avery appeared behind Quinn before Connor had a chance to answer. Who's ready for another beer? she asked cheerfully. She set two bottles down in front of the men as she twisted off the top of hers. Quinn smiled up at her. Thanks, babe. Then he glanced back at Connor, relieved to see that he had lowered himself back onto his seat, picking up the fresh bottle of beer. The last thing Quinn needed was to have to intervene in a drunken brawl between his gunshot-recovering brother and his sister's choice of dance partner at his uncle's wedding reception. Quinn leaned across the table. Reese hasn't had any visions about Sanderson, he said, his voice pitched so low that even Avery couldn't really hear him over the music. Yeah, well, he didn't fucking have any visions about shithead either, Connor replied, not even trying to lower his voice. Connor, Quinn forced some patience into his voice. At some point, we're going to have to trust her. It's her life. If she's ready, then we have to be too. Wait, what? Avery looked at Connor and then back to Quinn. What are we talking about? Quinn turned to her, taking her hand. Tess, and him. It was his turn to angle his chin in their sister's direction. Avery looked across the room to Tess and Luke. The song had ended, and he had taken her hand, leading her to the refreshment table. They seem like a cute couple, she said uncertainly. Connor just snorted. Xenia Green had an invitation to Riso Quinn and Gabriella McTaggart's big day. She had dutifully shown it at the temporary security gate set up on the road leading to the chapel. After all, the wedding between a best-selling novelist and a country music megastar didn't happen every day. The paparazzi were being kept at a respectful half-mile distance. So, she had quit her job a day early, put on her very best dress, along with her favorite strappy sandals, and driven out to the park. She knew this was the best chance she would have of beginning to reintegrate herself into this town and its social life. She had parked her car and waited until she could convince her body to move, to get out and go in, to face her troubles head-on. Something her mother had never once done, but she had told herself from the very early age that she would always do. The problem was, every single time she thought she had summoned the courage, her body had let her down, refusing to budge. She had sat there in her car throughout the ceremony. She had sat there in her car for most of the reception and after-party, She had even had a glimpse of the newlyweds as they snuck away, giggling and slightly tipsy, keyed up for their wedding night. Now, however, her bottom was numb and she had the most ferocious need to pee she'd ever had. In desperation, she pushed herself out of her car, intending to duck quickly in and out of the bathroom on the side of the building before driving home. She was walking as quickly as she could back to her car, head down to pick the best route for her high heels over the gravel of the parking lot, when she heard someone behind her say her name. She froze. Xenia? She was paralyzed, unable to turn around or speak. Xenia, is that you? The voice was coming closer. She bit her lip and forced herself to turn around. Standing in front of her, the glow from the lone parking lot light illuminating his red hair stood Connor Halliday. Oh, she managed, her voice an octave or so higher than normal. Hey. Hey, Zenia, Connor said, his voice rough. Hey yourself, she answered. He took another step closer to her. She watched, eyes wide. He was using a cane, leaning heavily on it with each step. "'I didn't think you were coming,' he said. She thought he sounded tired, but there was something else, too. "'Pain? Anger?' "'Oh,' Xenia replied, her voice back to a more normal range. "'I wasn't sure I was going to come, either. I guess I didn't, not really, anyway. I mean, I've been sitting out here in the parking lot the whole time.' But I really, really, really had to pee, she shrugged with a small laugh. He took another step. Now he was close enough for her to reach out and touch him. She crossed her arms in front of her waist instead and cleared her throat. How are you doing, she said, managing somehow to sound less breathless than she felt. He shrugged. I'm on the mend. How much longer will you have to use that? She angled her head toward the cane in his right hand. He took his eyes off her then, looking past her shoulder, but he answered easily enough. "'I'm in physical therapy. Maybe two more weeks.' He shrugged, but even in the semi-darkness, Zenia could see the color rising in his cheeks. "'And no permanent damage?' she asked. She had grilled Doc Wallace, of course, about the extent of his injuries. The bulletproof vest he had been wearing had protected them both from the main force of the shotgun blast, but he sustained significant damage to his left leg.' she was all too aware of the fact that nerve damage could be difficult to assess. "'No,' he answered, his gaze back to, onto her face, a slow smile forming. "'Not unless you count this.' He raised his hand, briefly touching the black patch he sported over his left eye, damaged beyond repair by a wood spike from the splintered door doorjamb. An angry line of scar tissue was still visible across his scalp, the shaved patch of red hair not quite long enough to cover it, just above his ear.' The best part is that now no one gets me and Quinn confused. She smiled gently. No, I don't suppose so. He cleared his throat. Ready-made Halloween costume, though, this pirate look. Especially paired as it is tonight with the tux. The rational part of Xenia's mind told her that it wasn't possible, and yet it seemed that the blue of his remaining eye blazed even brighter and more intense than it ever had. You look good as a tis- tuxedo-wearing pirate, she managed to say. Xenia, his voice dropped, and she found herself straining to hear him. I'm glad you came to see me when I was in the hospital. I was wondering, well, hoping really that you and I could... He stopped suddenly, distracted by the sound of Avery and Quinn walking up behind him. Xenia, Avery said, dropping Quinn's hand and stepping forward. Hey, I didn't think you were going to make it. It's good to see you. She leaned forward and pulled her in for a quick hug. "'Oh, yeah, well, I didn't make it, I mean. I just kind of sat out here in the car all night. But, hey, it's good to see you, too.' She smiled at Avery and then nodded at Quinn. Then she took a deep breath and straightened her shoulders. "'I guess now is as good a time as any,' she began, the start of the speech she had practiced all evening in the parking lot. "I "'I wanted to say some things to all of you, so since you're all here, here goes.' First off, Doc Wallace has offered me my job back. "'If th- any of them were surprised by this news, they didn't show it. "'Xenia realized that the medical examiner had probably talked it over with them first. "'I start on Monday.' "'That's great, Zenia, Avery said. "'She turned to her. "'Thanks, Avery, and thanks for checking on me, you know, before. "'It meant a lot. "'So much more than I can ever say. "'I don't really have any friends or family here in town, "'so the fact that you called and stopped over, well, thanks.' Avery reached out and squeezed her hand, her eyes bright with tears. Of course, Xenia, it was my pleasure. I'd like us to be friends. Xenia took a deep breath and turned to Connor. And I wanted to say thanks again, Connor, for your sacrifice. She shrugged and gestured at his cane and eye patch before she went on. You saved my life. I did my job, he answered gruffly. She turned last to Quinn, who had been standing slightly behind Avery, watching, his hands grasped behind his back. Quinn, ah, uh, she started but then had to stop to clear her throat. Quinn dropped his eyes to the ground. I need to say some things to you too, she finally managed to choke out. Hey, now, Xenia, maybe you know, maybe this isn't the right time or place, Connor said. He took a step and gently put his hand on her arm. She took his hand then, twining her fingers with him, drawing courage from his warmth. I need to say this, Connor, she said to him, knowing that he was worried about what she would say to his twin, the twin brother who had taken the life of her twin brother. Avery stepped back and slipped her hands around Quinn's arm, who still hadn't raised his head to meet Zenia's gaze. Quinn, I know that you did what you had to do, Xenia managed to whisper. Quinn kept his head down but raised his eyes to meet Xenia's. She swallowed and wiped a tear from her cheek. I'm sorry you had to... And I wish you hadn't had to, but I know you had to. "'Connor may have saved my life, but you saved his, "'and so you also saved mine. "'I want, I need to say thank you.' "'The four of them stood there, frozen, for what seemed like an eternity. "'Finally, Connor stepped forward, "'dropping his cane and wrapping Xenia's tiny frame in his massive arms. "'That's the bravest thing I've ever seen anyone do.' he whispered fiercely. And that, friends, is the conclusion of Echo Chamber. Thanks so much for being with me through this journey. I've certainly enjoyed it, and I hope you have too. Next week, Wait a Week Mystery, will be back with another story, and I hope you will be too. Thanks, and happy waiting.